Hello, and you're very welcome to Mind You, where I dive into how different people use different ways to self-care. I'm Brian Barnes from Brian Barnes Wellbeing, where I partner with people to create unique wellbeing solutions. Today, I'm delighted to be talking to Keen Harley. Keen has a huge passion for serving and minding others through his work as an integrative psychotherapist, as a sleep therapist, CBT therapist, NLP practitioner, nutritional coach. Keen is a wellness coach and a corporate well-being speaker, and he is a former founding director of Corporate Wellness Ireland. Wow, you're a busy man, Keen, and thank you so much for joining me today. Uh, it's a pleasure, Brian. It's great to chat to you. Thanks, Keen, and you're so welcome. And just to start off, Keen, can you, can you start off by telling me a bit about yourself and how you got to here? Yeah, it's um, it's it's difficult to kind of formulate it in very simple, linear terms because I I I was very lucky. I had um, an interesting start to my career. I started out in broadcasting, and as a result of that, I be, I took on a couple of programs on television and radio, which were all about cars and motoring. So I then became a motoring journalist and editor of motoring magazines. And from there, I started learning to fly and doing all sorts of things. So along the way, I was a motoring journalist. I was a broadcaster. I was a magazine editor on cars. Um, and I also uh, learned to fly and started teaching others to fly. But somewhere along the way, I think as I approached my 50s, I decided I needed to be doing something a little bit more meaningful for the world because I felt very privileged and I felt like there are lots of people who do really good, meaningful stuff for the community, for the world and sort of driving cars around Europe for the crack. Uh, doesn't seem all that meaningful, although it was incredibly <laughs> great fun. Good fun. Um, <laughs> great fun, but yes. So I decided... I, Went back to where I started as a teenager. I was very interested in child psychology. Don't know particularly why. I think I came across a couple of books that just piqued my interest. And I thought, yeah, I'll go and do psychology. I had started out when I left school. I went to do psychology in Trinity College, but then got offered a job in a recording studio. So I decided, oh, I'll take a year out and go off and work in the recording studio. Sure, I can always go back to psychology. And I didn't until I was you know, my late 40s. So I did go back and I studied, uh, first of all, cognitive behavioral therapy. I became a hypnotherapist out of that because I found it fascinating the way the mind is malleable and the way we can auto-suggest or self-suggest to ourselves ways to change or reframe the world that we believe we're living in and how important our belief set is. So I would have been very influenced by many writers, um, Bruce Lipton would have had a, a big effect on me just in terms of his writings and his his way of explaining how the brain can be totally reshaped. You know, and I think it's fair to say it can't be totally reshaped. About 20 percent or 25 percent of who we are is genetically determined. But the rest then is environmental. It is our learnings. Um, it is childhood, obviously, what we went through in terms of nurturing an environment and so on. Um, and then an awful lot of it is just that we get into a particular pattern or rhythm of behaving and we kind of create our own homeostasis in terms of the way our brains operate. But all of that is changeable if we really want to. 
Um, and I found that fascinating. So I really got deeply into the, the, the cognitive behavioral therapy and the hypnotherapy. And then ultimately I decided I needed to go on and do psychotherapy and I did a master's as well. So the whole area of psychotherapy fascinates me. And thankfully, I, I haven't become overburdened with it because interestingly, when you start working with clients, and I've been working with clients now for what, 14 years, 13 years, um, you go through stages, and I'm sure you've noticed this yourself, of meeting the same kind of people. So there would have been maybe a year or two where I was dealing with a lot of teenagers who had problems with sleep or anxiety or uh, bulimia or anorexia or difficulty, maybe uh, trichotillomania or something like that, where they pull out hairs and all that kind of stuff. And then you you discover that you're not really seeing so many teenagers. You might be seeing more middle-aged men who are struggling with their health or their mental health or their overall well-being or just adjusting to a world that's becoming increasingly demanding. And then you go through a phase of maybe working with a lot of women in their 30s who, you know, they now have the kids, they have the perfect house, they have the husband, all the dreams they had when they were 14 have now come true. And they're kind of going, so now what? And beginning to rediscover who they are now in their late 30s or whatever. So I found that fascinating. Like even today, for some strange reason, I work with quite a lot of other psychotherapists and I also work with quite a lot of people in the legal profession, many of whom would be dealing with pretty horrendous, horrific stuff in court that you can't exactly go home to your partner and say, well, do you know what went on in, in work today? Because you simply can't. It's, and so having an outlet or somebody to talk to is important. So it's been, uh, a, I would call it um, an organic growth from just deciding it was something I wanted to do and having a genuine interest in it to then discovering that I could bring real uh, change to people's lives. Wow. I love that, Keen. I love that. And thank you for sharing that fascinating journey with me. And kind of day-to-day, -day, kind of diving deeper into your day-to-day, -day, like you, you've such a fascinating toolkit, you know, psychotherapy, sleep therapist, CBT therapist, NLP, nutritional coach, wellness coach, corporate well-being speaker, hypnotherapy. Hmm. What, what does that look like at the moment, kind of day-to-day, -day, you know, like, you know, when, when you're working with someone, you know, how do you know where, when, where to start off and which tool to use? Oh, that's that's actually a great question. I, I, I mean, I'm, I'm an integrative psychotherapist, which means that I integrate various forms of psychotherapy. And this comes out of my basic belief that you can't just be a one trick pony. Um, and certainly when I started out, even working with people, say, for cognitive behavioral therapy, and I would quite quickly identify they have a real problem with their diet or their lack of nutrition. But I couldn't advise them about food because I wasn't qualified to advise them about food. So I found myself keeping going into cul-de-sacs like I, I could say to somebody, oh, you need to work on your sleep. But I'm not qualified to tell them how, how to work on their sleep. I can give them lots of ideas. But it's, you have to be kind of careful that in order to advise somebody, particularly on diet or particularly on ingesting anything, that you have a qualification in that area. So that's why I built, I, I, I felt I needed to know more and I needed to have the, the 
to be in a position to be able to advise people on much broader levels than simply, you know, just anxiety or giving up cigarettes or whatever it was that I was working with as a hypnotherapist or cognitive behavioral therapist. And so when I became a psychotherapist, it was really obvious to me that I couldn't simply do one form of psychotherapy, that I needed to be proficient in several different practices or, or disciplines of psychotherapy. At the end of the day, I've met so many practitioners. And the truth is, we're all kind of doing the same thing. Yeah. We're just coming at it from different angles. And I tend to be quite cerebral. So I would help people, particularly people who are um, resistant to help. I'm quite good at, at explaining the, the reasons logically why this makes sense. Whereas I know other therapists are much more intuitive in the sense that they... They connect on a softer level. Um, and also, I, I don't tend to do any body work, whereas I would know a lot of people because I work closely with them who I can send a client to to get into their body. Because a lot of people I would have worked with, they're too much in their heads yeah. and they need to get into their body to actually really connect with their emotions because I can't work with them until they open those pathways. So. It was realizing that I can't be everything and do everything, but there are certain things that I can add to my skill set that that's really going to help me to work with various clients. And it's really out of that. I, I, it's not really a case of knowing which tool to use when. You kind of, I, I suppose, if you're, I suppose, if you're fashioning a a, um, a, a wardrobe or a a, a desk you want to make your, for yourself out of wood, you're going to use all the tools. You're going to use hammers, screwdrivers. You're going to use saws. You're going to use some sandpaper. You're going to use a, a spirit level and, a, you know, and, and you're going to use everything to get it to where you want it. And I would find that rather than deciding where I'm going to use something, you intuitively follow where the, the client or the patient, very often I work with patients because they would be referred to me by doctors or uh, psychiatrists, um, you simply listen to what they need. And then if you have the tools to work with them, you do. And if you don't, then you refer them. Yeah, I love that. Again, I suppose, you know, the very essence of, you know, let's say your, your toolkit is very holistic and also very person-centered, which is, you know, I think that's the most important thing is that, you know, like you're listening to what the person needs. Yeah, yeah. And and I think, I suppose at the outset, when you first go to college to learn something, they don't fully, and now maybe I'm generalizing here, but they don't fully give you the sense that your job is a listener. You are, you're not a deliverer of, you know, healing. Um, the healing happens within the client. Like I, I've never healed anybody. The client heals themselves, but I can be a coach to help them to get there. And, and I think that's true of all healing. I don't think anybody heals someone else unless you're a surgeon and you kind of stick together something that the, the client had no way of dealing with themselves. Um, but generally, it's the client who heals themselves. And we as practitioners are the facilitators for that healing. Um, and sometimes all you are is a, is a, is a, a body to, to, to go the, the journey with. Um, mm. And that's really important. And also very often a practitioner is also giving permission for the client to actually address something they know for a long time they needed to address, but just haven't got around to doing. 
Absolutely. And again, it's kind of, it, it's, you know, creating that space for someone uh, to, you know, to feel kind of, you know, to feel kind of, I suppose, a, a space to be able to look at something that they need to kind of address. Like a quote is coming to me by Carl Rogers. He said, it's astonishing how, how something that seems insoluble becomes soluble when somebody listens. Gosh, I hadn't heard it. It's brilliant. Um, and I, I, isn't I've, it, come across, I've come across a few Carl Rogers sayings or quotes, but that I hadn't heard. And it is it is wonderful. Yeah. And that says it all, Keen, doesn't it? Again, about creating space for someone and having, you know, having that kind of, you know, space for them to explore and to be curious and, you know, um, ha- having a kind of a, a trusting person centred relationship. Very much. And, you know, in some ways, Brian, it it reflects where we are in the world. What we need is to be listened to. We need to be heard. And when people aren't heard, they become unwell. And whether that's in the corporate world or whether that's at home privately or wherever, if you're not being heard and if you're not being acknowledged and recognized, it is going to make you deeply unwell because we are social creatures. And in some ways, we're kind of crying out for it. If you look at the amount of people who are doing blogs or vlogs or the amount of people who are writing opinion pieces, even if it's on someone else's blog or vlog, they're constantly on creating comment. They're call, they're crying out to be heard. And ultimately, if we listen to each other, we're going to have a, a much healthier society and a softer society as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. And Keen, obviously, you know, this podcast could be listened to at any time but right now it's november 2023 and it's men's kind of you know health month men's mental health month and you know just to maybe touch on that about kind of i suppose again with your experience and you know with your kind of knowledge and with with that amazing toolkit that you have maybe some kind of tips or kind of advice you could give to you know, like anyone listening, but especially men, just around kind of self-care and I suppose, again, like kind of, you know, giving themselves that space to kind of mind themselves and to kind of address things that they might need to address. Yeah, um, it's a really interesting area, I find, because when you think of men's health, pretty much all health that we in Western medicine that we've ever spoken about for about 500 years was men's health because they were it was men who were in the universities where they were learning about the body and learning about anatomy and learning about health and all of the functions of the and all of the systems of the body so it was all men's health uh, focused and you would think we would be pretty good at looking after our health but we're not we're not and it's really only in the sort of 20th century that we began to look at women's health and and children's health um but so why are men so poor at looking after their health it's it's an interesting thing i think it's a bravado thing in some ways and Mm. sometimes it's just i don't have time i have to just get on with it and i can't be vulnerable i can't take time out but Thankfully, in the last 10 years, I've seen a huge change in this. I would say most of the men that I know, certainly under the age of 50, uh, are quite conscious of the things they need to do to look after their health. And we're bombarded with messages, whether it's, you know, a radio ad about about getting checked for prostate, uh, checking your prostate, or whether it's about mental health. There's constant uh, reminders to look after our health. It doesn't necessarily mean we're doing it. And I think this is the key. 
So we all know we need to look after our health now in a way that perhaps we didn't 20 years ago. But we do know yeah. now. So the, the, the and, and it can become overwhelming. Like there's so much data and so much information out there about health that you can become stressed, worrying about, oh, I'm not doing this and I haven't had a checkup. And I'm yeah, so the key, analysis, analysis paralysis almost. Exactly. Absolutely. Mm. Exactly. And so I think the key thing is know who you are. And like there's no point I'm, there's no point in me being as zealous about looking after my health as a friend of mine who just does it all the time like he's completely wrapped up in it that's just not me so so first of all knowing yourself is a good idea and then start to learn a little bit about who you are as an individual so first of all what is your genetic disposition uh what 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 does your grandfather have or your father have i mean if you're the seventh son of a seventh son and all previous lads have all, well seven it doesn't matter if if you're you know, all of your grandfather, great-grandfather and great-great-grandfather and father all died at the age of 40 because of cardiovascular disease. Quite clearly, you need to know something about your cardiovascular health. So, yes. so, so and you probably shouldn't smoke and you probably yeah, exactly. should get exercise and not drink too much and sleep well. Yeah. Yeah, so it's so it's knowing a little bit about where you come from, what 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 went before you, that helps. And then knowing your environment. If you sort of are living on the east coast of Ireland in Wexford or somewhere like that, it's worth knowing that you have a, a, a higher possibility of prostate uh, cancer than if you lived in the west of Ireland. Why? We don't actually know, but certainly the east coast, there is a marked difference. So it's worth knowing that, particularly if you're anything past 40 you need to get it checked particularly if something's not working or the tubes aren't flowing the way they should so it's just knowing knowing simple stuff about you about your environment if you're working in a, a sedentary job well then you probably need to do something about movement so those are the first things and then then go down through the sort of list of how is your intellectual health are you are you overwhelming yourself with negative information about the world and about you? Are you becoming uh, overwhelmed just by negative feelings or emotions? Looking at your emotional health as well, because our emotional health is very fragile. It can be very easily swayed by people around us or by panic around us or by mm. even people in our own home or our family who are highly emotional. It's very easy to get swept up in that. And so to be able to still yourself and calm yourself, you can do uh, anything like go off and play the guitar or go fishing or do mindfulness or do meditation. You know, it's it's not all rocket science. A lot of it is quite simple stuff. And then the looking after your physical health, you need to make sure that you're eating well, sleeping well, that you have downtime and that you are connected with loved ones who uh, and, and that you connect with them regularly enough that you feel physically and emotionally and intellectually well and then you've got things like spiritual health and financial health which are also incredibly important that you know if you if financially you are struggling well then that's going to impinge on everything mm. um so it's it's looking after that i suppose the big thing that people don't include when they think about health is being organized and if you're not organized then you're probably not going to put time aside to go and have that checkup or to do the mindfulness or to take the time out or to make sure that you're getting enough sleep or go and see the doctor. So being organized is a key part of wellness. And it's the one that I personally don't do well because I live a fairly fluid life in lots of ways. Um, by that, I mean, I don't have a diary that repeats. 
like every single day of the week is different to the previous day. And so I actually have to make a real effort to block off time in the diary and say that is sacrosanct. Those days are not going to be uh, filled in with anything except self-care. This is these are for me. Um, and I have to be quite I have to be quite ruthless at it. Otherwise, it just doesn't happen. Yeah. Absolutely. I love that. That's a beautiful answer, Keen. a very succinct answer, because I know it was a very broad question. And when I'm working with people, I talk about, you know, you know, tips and advice about self-care and well-being. It's not so much a how question, because, look, as you said, like, it's not rocket science. We all know about, you know, mental health, exercise, diet, your attitude, you know, like doing things that you're passionate about, sleep and, you know, getting a good night's sleep and your environment. But, but it's when, you know, when are you going to do something about it? When are you going to make a change that you know you need to make? Yeah. And part of that comes from developing routines. So I'm quite good at, in some areas. Um, so, for example, I will routinely take an early morning walk. Or, um, and it doesn't have to be a big, long walk. It can be a short walk. Uh, or I'll sit and meditate and take time to sort of check in on myself, see, how, see where I'm at, how I'm doing. And bit by bit, um, you get into a habit of doing that more and more and more. You only have to do it for about three weeks and then it becomes something you enjoy doing. And by the same token, you can also break habits as, as easily as you can make them. So if, for example, you're drinking too much coffee and that can be a problem for a lot of people, particularly as you get older, mm. um, and you think, oh, how do I cut down? You just do. You just, it's a decision you make. You just decide, I am going to cut down. Yeah. And then you start and you do it for about three weeks. And then you realize, actually, this is very easy. It's the same with alcohol. During the pandemic, I know a lot of people, a lot of clients, but also a lot of friends who were drinking a lot more than they should. I was one of them as well. I was drinking more than I should mm -hmm. because it was too easy to just, you know, you couldn't go to a pub. So you just brought a bottle of wine home. And sure, who's going to, who's going to drink? you know, um, two thirds of a bottle and not finish it. Well, there are there are people, but it's hard. And so you have to make a decision, right? That's it. I'm just not going to have more than two glasses of wine in any one sitting. Just not yeah. going to. And you regain that sense of control. That doesn't mean you'll never do it again, but it means that you're not getting into a habit or not allowing the habit to form. You're breaking the habit. And it's really important that we have the power to make and break habits around our health. Because if you lose that capacity to make and break those habits, you lose the feeling that you're in control. Absolutely. Absolutely. And again, that's so important to have that sense of agency and control and to be kind of captain of your own ship. And as you said, to both make and break habits, you know, like it's all about baby steps and, you know, that kind of habit stacking and, you know, kind of not being overwhelmed by what you have to change, but, you know, just knowing that you need to change it and, you know, doing it in baby steps, breaking it down. As I say, how do you eat an elephant in very thin slices? <laughs> not that i've tried but thanks for the advice <laughs> if you ever if you ever decide to kind of you know tuck into an elephant and do it in very very thin slices <laughs> lightly toasted Absolutely. um so yeah so that, and and this actually brings me to um talking a little bit about hypnotherapy 
it's something I don't do as much of as I used to. I still do with some clients. They'll ask me if I can do a hypnotherapy session to help them get through something or get over something or change a pattern. And that's the beauty about hypnotherapy. It's an incredibly powerful tool. A lot of people still must misunderstand it. They feel that they are giving away their agency or somebody is taking control of their mind or whatever. And to a, de to a degree, it's a bit like that. But rather than letting someone take control, it's kind of like being a passenger in a car. You're getting from A to B. Now you can drive there yourself if you want, but it's much easier for you to enjoy the view and see where you're going if you're a passenger and let someone else do the driving. And in a way, that's what hypnotherapy is. You've got somebody who's taking you on the journey, but you're going where you want to go. You're not going there. You're not being kidnapped. You're going where you want to go. And, and you're being helped to change patterns of thinking or feeling or emotions or reframe something that could be absolutely my uh, life-changing um and I, I i sincerely believe that if you can help get get help like hypnotherapy to break a habit be that you know smoking or eating too much or eating sugar or whatever that once you've broken that habit you can then obviously take it up again if you want like once having been hypnotized doesn't mean that you will never touch sugar again. You can, of course, choose. You you are still captain of your own ship. You can choose to put on weight again or to eat sugar again or smoke again, whatever you like. Uh, but the key thing is you have been brought across a threshold that helps you to stay away from whatever the, the, the thing was or to create a habit. Hypnotherapy is incredibly powerful for things like that. Absolutely, and yeah, and, and we have we we both have a shared love for hypnotherapy and um, yeah, everything everything that goes with it. And can can you tell me now what's your, the, your favorite part of what you do and why? Strangely, <laughs> my favorite part is when a client says bye bye, don't need to see you anymore. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's it's that thing of where or where I will advise someone and sometimes you do because there is a not a dependency but a relationship that develops where the client feels that they're not fully ready to take off the stabilizers off their bicycle but actually they are and like a, like a parent you say okay we're taking off the stabilizers you're good to go that yeah. sometimes I have to give them that prompt and and let them know look I'm here if you need to if you need to you know call me again do but I am not booking you in Again, now, if you want to ring me and make a booking sometime in the future, you're always very welcome. And that generally um, is a very good feeling for me because I know I've got somebody to a point where they are um, really strong, really confident, really sure of themselves and ready to take on the world again. And they're, they're good to go. Yeah, yeah. Cool. I love that, Keen. And again, as you said, you, you, you're not healing anyone like that. That. You know, like kind of, you know, like you, you, you've shone a light on that person's inner resilience and inner confidence and inner, you know, kind of, you know, kind of sense of self and their, you know, that that sense of agency that they have inside themselves. Totally, totally, and it's uh, you know, even me with all of my understanding and the people I've worked with and, and so on, I've, I've a vast range of experience, but there are days where I wake up and I don't feel 
as confident. Um, I, I don't exactly suffer from imposter syndrome, but there are times I wake up and think, why does anybody ask me for help? Sure, I mean, <laughs> you know, what would I know? <laughs> I, what, would, what would I know? And, and I, that's kind of one of the most fascinating things about any, any project that you're uh, passionate about is that you keep learning, keep learning, keep learning to the point where you recognize I will never know it all. I'll just never fully get it. But I'll, I'll also probably never fully know myself, which in a way is is a bit of a pity. But I think part of that comes from the generation I grew up in, where uh, self-reflection was not encouraged. And in fact, a lot of the people I would work with, they're trying to undo some of the confusion and damage that was perhaps created in childhood, very often inadvertently by parents or by society because of the way they were brought up. Um, so, you know, it, I grew up at a time where children were seen and not heard, and it was made clear to you that your opinion was not welcome. <laughs> um, and, and, and we do need to be heard, as I say. So, you know, I will be constantly be working on myself and constantly be working with others and learning about how we can better help each other to be better versions of ourselves or to fully um, honor who we are. Yeah. Beautiful. I love that, Keen. Thank you so much for sharing that with me. And can you tell me now, I know we've touched on a few, a few things that you do, but can you tell me now how you mind you? Yeah, uh, the first, <laughs> the first thing, as I as I told you earlier, um, probably before you pressed record, is that during lockdown I moved uh, out of out of Dunleary, out of Dublin, um, to a, a lakeside in Cavan, and that has been one of the best decisions I made, just in terms of my overall health and well being, because everything is slower. I have more time to think, more time to research, more time to write, but more time to simply be. Uh, I'm a human being rather than a human doing, yeah. and it feels really good. I grow a lot of uh, my own vegetables. Well, myself and my other half grow our, a lot of our own vegetables. She's brilliant at putting them together into all sorts of wonderful recipes. So we would eat incredibly well. I'm out in the open air a lot of the time. I don't really have things that stress me. Um, you know, I, 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 yeah, I'm, I'm not working for a, a, a company that demands a massive amount beyond what I can give. And I can pick and choose the days that I work more or less. Um, so I find I'm in a very good place in terms of my capacity to look after myself. And the only things that bother me in terms of my health are legacy issues that I got from playing rugby when I was younger. I have knee problems and I have um, a, a, a lower back problem, but they came from injuries rather than from lack of self-care. So I'm good and, and I feel good. And it's a great place to be that I feel I'm doing what I need to do. I could always probably do more. I could probably be fitter. I could, you know, I could lose a couple of kilos here and there, but it's all good and it feels good. Beautiful. I love that, man. I love that. And as, as you said, you said, we're all a work in progress, aren't we? Yeah, absolutely. And and this is the thing that in some ways comes as a bit of a shock is that, you know, when I was younger, I thought, well, when I reach 
50 or 60 or whatever age, I'll be wise and I, I you know, and I won't. <laughs> yeah. and, and life will be easier and I'll be confident and I'll know myself and all of that kind of stuff. You never really do because the person you, the person I was at 40, I, I got to know him as a 40 year old, but as a 50 year old, he was a different animal. Yeah. Um, and we do change and we have to reappraise ourselves maybe every 10 years or possibly even less. Like, who am I now? Um, yeah. and, 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 and because of circumstances around us, like family change, you lose loved ones, lots of things change. And so your position in the hierarchy of, of, of the world that you live in changes as well. And that takes, um, quite a lot of thinking through and growing into as well. So there's a lot, there's a lot involved in living and you are constantly a, a work in progress, yeah. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, Keen, thank you so much for sharing all that with me. Where can people find you? Um, I suppose that's a very good question. Up in Cavan, up beside the lake in Cavan. <laughs> yeah, because I'm I'm no longer on a sort of a website like the clinic.ie or corporatewellness.ie. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I'm happy enough to give an email if people want to contact me because uh, that's generally where clients find me is is via email. So keenharley at gmail.com. I'm sure you can share that. You know that one. Yeah, cool. Okay, well, look, if I will stick that email onto this podcast. And again, Keen, thank you so much for being so honest and so kind and generous with me today and sharing with me how you know how you got to hear that amazing journey that amazing kind of toolkit that you have um of so many fascinating tools and how you mind you and keep up the great work and best of luck with everything that you do in the future thank you brian can i just add um if if there's a corporate listening and they want to get in touch with me the best way is through corporate wellness ireland because i still do quite a lot of work with tracy uh but no longer as a director of Corporate Wellness Ireland. Cool. Perfect. Well, again, thank you so much and best of luck with everything, Keen. Cheers, Brian. Thanks very much. Thank you so much for listening to Mind You. And I hope you've learned about the benefits of holistic self-care. Please like, subscribe and follow Mind You podcast wherever you listen to it. And please share it so we can keep the ripple effect of holistic self-care going out to the world. You can find me and Mind You at brianbarneswellbeing.com.